Today we're talking about water scarcity, and I'm talking to the head of Investec Power and Infrastructure Finance, and that's Andre Weppner. Andre, I think everybody was shocked, and even the world was quite shocked, when the water scarcity problem came to a head, what was it, around about 18 months, two years ago in Cape Town. But the backdrop of that scarcity is still there. It seems to me that there are short and there are long-term problems, but those problems can be solved. Is that the case in general terms? Yeah, I think what you're saying is correct. The problem unfortunately isn't going away, although temporarily things are looking better in Cape Town. You know, there are long-term weather patterns that are changing, and as a result of climate change, my understanding is that um, this is not an isolated incident, it's not an isolated problem, and cities like Cape Town are going to be struggling with droughts and, and water scarcity problems in the future as well. Now, the difficulty is not only just that which we saw. I think, from what I've read, I understand that um, as much as 30,000 jobs were lost in the area as well, as a result of directly indirectly of, of the drought. And uh, I think if we're looking at, at solutions, it's a, it's a combination of both, you know, policy that needs to be amended and, and needs to be more innovative and technical solutions, as you say, some that are short term and some that are long term. Part of the problem when I talk about policy is that water in South Africa at the moment is, is governed at various levels of, of the government, both the municipal level, provincial and national. And often it's confusion and sort of disagreement between these various levels that are causing some of the issues. So technical solutions do exist, um, but because of policy constraints and the lack of political will, maybe they're being held back. Yes, I'd agree with that. What are the sort of technical innovation solutions that could maybe alleviate the short and medium term problems before we get on to the super long term answers? Tell us more about the technical side of things. So if you look around the world, we wouldn't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel to fix these problems. There are countries that are countries like Israel and you know world leaders in, in various technologies to save water and there's certainly a lot of things that we could learn and that we could we could implement here so desalination is obviously the big buzzword and desalination is attractive because it's the only it's the only real solution that's totally independent of rainfall obviously because you're taking water out of the sea so South Africa certainly can learn a lot from other countries in the world that are, are pioneers in this area so countries such as Saudi Arabia Spain Israel and Australia has also implemented a few interesting things. So there really are some quite exciting new technologies and innovation in the water space. So one of those is atmospheric water generators, which essentially take uh, humidity out of the air um, and produce drinking water. It's very expensive. It's quite a small-scale solution, but it's certainly one of the ones that we can consider. Municipal wastewater reuse is also something that we, we haven't done very well in South Africa, but it's implemented quite effectively elsewhere in the world, where essentially we'd be retreating or treating to a further degree our wastewater and basically be able to use that um, again either for agriculture or if you treated it to a, to a higher degree it could also then be used as potable water and that's, and that's really quite cost effective as well. Another one is rainwater harvesting and we're seeing a bit of that in South Africa. We're seeing uh, households putting up Jojo tanks and collecting water themselves. Some are purifying it and using it as drinking water, uh, fulfilling their swimming pools or, or for irrigation um, but that can also be done on a larger scale at a municipal level. Uh, where stormwater drains could be used to collect rainwater and that could be pushed back into the grid um, if it's treated. Uh, one other solution which uh, sounds almost a bit laughable but is, has been spoken about and that's towing icebergs down to the Cape Town area and using those as, uh, as a water source. Um, it, so it sounds a bit ludicrous but uh, there are some very smart people out there who are doing the research and saying that Cape Town is actually quite well located globally for, for a solution like it and they believe it could actually be a viable solution that could provide about 20% of Cape Town's drinking water requirements for about a period of three years. So that's something that's also being considered.
Well, from the footage I've seen on TV, the icebergs might float our way anyway without being towed, but given the amount of uh, ice erosion there is in Antarctica and other places. Um, so there are solutions at national levels. There are uh, international examples of countries that have managed to overcome their adversity, Saudi Arabia, Spain, Israel and Australia. But what about at a micro level? What about at a community level? Look at the community of Beaufort West, for example, which is on water rationing at the moment, had 40 boreholes, only has 22 boreholes now. Would you support a community level initiative to extract water that is, for example, below ground in the water table? Absolutely. Community-based solutions to these problems have been implemented in other spaces. We've seen it in the power sector, where small communities have been able to solve power problems with solar panels and battery storage and, and smaller grids. And I don't see why we couldn't have similar solutions in the water space. Um, you mentioned boreholes of smaller, smaller communities or independently financed borehole projects to extract more water from underground where that water is available. Uh, we would certainly find that we would support that. And if there are opportunities to finance those kinds of projects, it's definitely something we would be interested in. Water researchers say that sustainable water culture is built on four pillars. I want to see if you agree with these. Tariff structures, public education, water saving technology and water restrictions. Is South Africa doing well with these four pillars? And also, have we been educated because of the dreadful situation that we all had to endure over the last couple of years? So I think something we need to be very clear about is that South Africa is a water-stressed country, um, although it hasn't felt like it until recently. And that just means that in general we have to be more careful. Um, one of the big problems we have is, is what's referred to in the industry as non-revenue water. So that's really the difference between the amount of water in the distribution system um, and the amount that ultimately gets billed to customers. So in South Africa, our non-revenue water is currently, well, as of 2017, estimated to be about 41% um, of the water in our system. So that means essentially we're losing 41% of the water that's in our system. Global best practice is about 15%, and other water-stressed countries who typically focus very carefully on these, on these problems, such as Australia, are at about a 10% level. So you know, this is leakage, often owing to poor operation and maintenance of the systems, um, and there are also commercial losses, meter tampering, and other forms of theft or, or unbuilt consumption. Another part of the problem in South Africa is that provincial and, and government departments uh, have huge backlogs in terms of paying the Department of Water and Sanitation for their water. I understand that in September 2018, this was at a level of 13.1 billion rand uh, of unpaid bills. So, you know, we pay a lot of lip service to water saving and to restrictions, but we only really seem to implement them when we're in a crisis and when we're having the, a sort of a drought. Um, but I think it needs to be something that becomes much more part of our culture. We are a water-stressed country, so for all of us, we need to, we need to be thinking about these things more often. Um, and government also needs to make greater efforts to maintain the distribution system and to invest in new projects. Whenever there's a crisis of any type, whether it be water, energy, whatever it is, it's usually the poor that suffer the most for obvious reasons. Once the drought does break and once everyone forgets about the hard times, they're going to go back to their normal profligate ways of wasting water, filling swimming pools, etc., and not caring about the high tariffs that we've just spoken of. How can rural communities and poor communities and informal settlements get access, guaranteed access to cheap and reliable water? So I think we have to acknowledge that notable progress has been made since 1994 uh, in providing access to water and sanitation, um, particularly in poorer areas. By 2018, 88% of all households in South Africa had tap water available in their homes. And I think when it comes to, to all communities, not just poor communities, it really comes down to education and about that culture that I spoke of earlier. We need a culture of water savings and a culture of managing our water better um, across all communities. 
And you also have to have new buildings and old buildings that are being refitted becoming green, whether it be with solar energy or renewable energy or with water. That has to be compulsory, surely, some sort of system that minimises water use or rather makes water use incredibly efficient. Absolutely. So again, you know, the power sector sort of pioneered that, that idea of having to save on your consumption in each household and, and water should follow the same path. Uh, but having said that, I don't think saving water is the whole problem. It's only, it's only part of the problem. Now, even with our water scarcity, we need, we need a further investment in infrastructure and maintenance so that there can be sufficient water for all households to be, to be comfortable. My understanding is that uh, government itself have said they would need to spend close to 900 billion rand over the next 10 years in new water, investing in new water projects and also in covering the backlog of maintenance uh, in our systems. Wind energy, solar energy in combination with desalination, can that be the cost-effective solution to what you've just described? Absolutely. If we're looking at uh, desalination as one of the solutions, um, the biggest input cost to the desalination process is the cost of power. And today in South Africa, uh, wind and solar projects built, particularly built at utility scale, are some of the cheapest forms of power that we have. So a combination of, of these renewable energy projects uh, with desalination projects could really go a long way in solving some of the problems that we have. Even before the crisis in the Western Cape, there were certain communities throughout South Africa who weren't getting the service delivery they deserved, and water was, was part of that. What solutions are there to the rural population which are still included, drought or no drought? So investment is definitely required, but government certainly doesn't have to shoulder this burden on their own. Now, there is a private sector that's ready and willing to assist with funding these types of projects. The Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement, or REAP program in the power sector, was a very good example of this that where there are projects put in place that are well-structured, transparently procured, the private sector is ready and willing to fund, and, and so are the commercial and other investors into those projects. The government needs to put the same types of structures in place to attract that investment, and we then see the results across multiple communities. Andre Investec has invested in an organisation called Revigo Africa, which is largely associated with alternate energy, wind and solar. But are you looking at water solutions too? Absolutely. So our power and infrastructure business focuses on providing funding to all different types of infrastructure across sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and water is certainly part of that focus. Uh, we are anticipating large investment opportunities in the water sector in the next three to five years. And we've been positioning ourselves through building relationships with, with players in the sector um, in anticipation of that. We really want to see projects coming to the private sector that are well structured and able to be funded. And Investec would certainly be interested in funding both from a debt or equity perspective, uh, these projects. A lot of the answers that you've given and a lot of the questions that I've posed to you have been very much short-term and to a certain extent medium-term solutions, but the super long-term solution, well, part of this super long-term solution is heavy industry relying less on water. And when I say heavy industry, I mean, say, for example, um, a nuclear plant or a, a coal-fired power station being phased out. Is that something that should be part of the bigger picture, the big plan? So in South Africa, like in other countries around the world, a large portion of our water consumption is actually from industry and agriculture rather than just from households. I understand that in South Africa, it's about two-thirds of our total consumption. And a large portion of that generally is from the power sector, particularly in South Africa, where at the moment about 90% of our power generation comes from coal-fired power stations. A lot of water is used in that process, both through the water that's boiled in order to push through the steam turbines, as well as through the coal mining process itself and the washing of the coal. So as we move in the power sector towards more renewable energy sources, we should see a, a reduction in the, in the use of water. 
and industrial users should also be educated around structuring their businesses in such a way that they use less water. Andre, there's an old saying, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And you come to Cape Town and there's water everywhere. Unfortunately, it's salty. Where are we at the moment with desalination? Because it does seem a logical solution. Yeah, so the attractiveness of desalination um, on a large scale is that it really is the only sort of alternative source of water that doesn't rely at all on rainfall, clearly because it comes from the sea. But the biggest input cost of desalination is electricity. It's often blamed for being an expensive alternative, but it really depends on the scale at which it's implemented. So uh, if you have economies of scale by building bigger projects, typically your costs go down. Cape Town is also happens to be a, a location that has ideal conditions for a desalination plant. If you compare it to other parts of the world that are dry, if you look at the salt levels in the sea, the access and um, the temperature of the sea, it actually becomes quite a cost-effective location for, for desalination projects. It was generally considered that it would cost around 12 rand a kiloliter to implement desalination in Cape Town versus a cost of between 5 and 7 rand from the, from the bulk infrastructure and treatment process that we have, uh, which does seem quite expensive. And there were similar criticisms in Australia where large-scale desalination plants were built in most of their major cities on the coast. And often it's criticised because it was only really the plant in Perth that is used on a regular basis, and the one in Adelaide was used for about two years, um, and the rest has stood idle. But the real benefit is that once you've built these plants is that you have an insurance policy that can be, you know, these plants can be turned on at a moment's notice. And so at least you don't live, live without the uncertainty um, that if a drought comes, you'll have no alternatives. Andre, thanks so much for your insight. That's Andre Weppiner, who's head of Investex Power and Infrastructure Finance. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.